Merry Christmas. You know, sad and funny. I've been kind of surprised over and over this year with everybody from servers at restaurants to to, uh, tellers to cashiers saying Merry Christmas to me. It's funny because it catches me off guard and I'm, and I'm not being, I'm not upset about all that. I'm just like, yeah, it is. It's Merry Christmas. And I love it. I love when every, when everybody's saying that it's just a beautiful thing. I have an English friend. He says, happy Christmas. Have you ever heard that before? When I first heard that, I thought happy, that's not the right word. You're supposed to say Merry. And, uh, then, um, I had someone, one, one person this week said to me, uh, blessed Christmas. I thought, oh, I like that too. I like that too. So Merry Christmas. I don't know. I probably won't get a chance to tell any, all of you personally, but I want to wish you that right here and now. You know, one thing that you hear a little bit of a debate about, you know, what's Christmas about? What's it all about? And, you know, it seems like um, a lot of the sitcoms, they've got to do a Christmas, you know, edition, and they'll tell you what they think Christmas is about. And then you see, you know, movies, tons of movies. There's uh, even like a movie, Christmas movie. Some of the movie channels change their name to Christmas movie channel for the, for the season. And then each one of those movies have an idea about what Christmas is about. And you hear different things, and there's a lot of good things in there. I mean, some people think it is about the gifts or about giving. Then you get the little sermonette about it's, not, you know, it's more blessed to give than receive, and that's an important one. It's a good, good message. You know, you hear a lot of people talk about Christmas is about family. And y- yes, kind of. Yeah, that's all good. And, you know, the decorations tell us some stories, and certainly all the songs we had today tell a message and tell the story. You know, ultimately, you'll hear some, some people say it's about love, and it is. It is all those things. Some people say it's just a time to be thankful. You only have to be around certain people one time a year. And uh, for some, that's sad but true. <laughs> what I hear a lot is it's about goodwill toward men. And I hear people say that who really don't know what that means. They don't know the background of that statement. They don't know that that came from an angel's mouth. And it's recorded in scripture so that that's where we got that. You know, they think it just means people being nice to each other. Many of you probably know historically, even during World War I, horrible war. I mean, all the wars are horrible. That one was the first war to see certain things that we'd never seen before. It's the first war to have um, machine guns. They did a lot of the, a lot of that war was fought in trenches. Planes dropping bombs for the first time. First time to use planes. First time to use Mustard gas, things like that. Just heinous man to man. But you know the story, right? When Christmas Day rolled around. Have you heard this before? How the Germans and then all the Allied troops came out of their trenches and sang carols together. Chokes me up thinking about it because they went right back to killing right after that. It meant goodwill toward men, but it didn't last very long. It's as if we get it, but we don't really get it. We want goodwill toward men, but we want it when it's convenient. We want it when it's our idea. But that's not what it's about, you know. And um, let me ask you this. I hear this debate from time to time. Should it be an angel or a star on the tree? What do you guys do? How many do angel? How many do a star? How many do something totally different? Anybody? (laughs) Okay. Yeah, some people do something totally different, but... You know, the whole idea about the angel and the star is that the angel came to make an announcement that day. The angel made an announcement. The angel made some announcements. And part of that was, was uh, when, she told, when the angel told Mary before, you know, told the shepherds some of the things they said. It was, it was a prophecy that Matthew quoted and said, look, the virgin will conceive a child. 
She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's a prophecy 700 years before. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give you birth to a son and will call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. You know what that was? That was a divine invasion. That was an invasion of our world by God himself. He sent his son almost undercover, almost like a spy. I mean, he was just sent in behind enemy lines, right into the world, the world that, that really God had been, it was a plan of his to reclaim the human heart from the Garden of Eden. When in Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, they told God, we don't need you. We can do it our own way. We know how to do this better than you. We can be like you. And ever since that moment, God was on a, on a quest to regain the human heart. He had sent prophets and judges and poet kings, and he, sent, he did mighty miracles, and he, he freed entire people groups from slavery. He raised the dead, sent fire from heaven. He'd done all these amazing things. But our world remained dark and dangerous and ugly and cruel and hopeless. Now, if it was me, if I was invading earth and I was God, I would have done it a lot differently. If I was coming in the first century, I would have definitely come in a chariot and it would have been solid gold and I had had spinners and there would have been fire and flames shooting out everywhere and I'd have been really muscly, I'm just saying. (laughs) Probably wearing a tank top and then some kind of like a gold breastplate or something and I would have had hair still probably. That's what I'd have done. I'd explode things and I would melt things and people would have noticed, all right? I would have been there and it would have been all over whatever news there was to be all over. That's how I'd do it. But God didn't do it that way. But it was still an invasion. It was an invasion nonetheless. And I think it was an invasion that shows more about God's character than sometimes we could even grasp. Think about this invasion. This is the God of the universe who created all of this. He gave people the choice and the power to choose him or not. And when they didn't choose him and instead they chose to do heinous things to each other and to create a world that was all about power and taking what's mine and selfishness, what did he do? He came in his transparent, limitless love to a broken, helpless, messy humanity that couldn't even grasp that the king of the universe was in their midst. Last week, Pastor Jeremy did have on that crazy old suit, didn't he? Yeah, I think he's trying to make up for it today. And he taught us the word Advent. Did you see how Pastor Nick slipped that word into one of the worship songs today? And the basic meaning of that is the coming or the arrival or the appearing. That's why Christmas a lot of times is referred to as the first Advent. And then the second Advent is coming, he will come again, and then there will be some fireworks. But this first time he comes, that first advent was undercover. I want to introduce to you another word which you've heard before, but like advent, it's a word we don't use a whole lot. It's simply the word incarnation. One of the reasons we don't use, when I see this, I think of ice cream. Anybody else? Okay, just me, carnate, I just, that's where I go with that. 
But when you've got this word, incarnation, it comes, it comes directly from the Latin, like a lot of our English words. This word means to take on flesh. What it means is the God of the universe put on humanity. <laughs> That's still, you know, the more I think about it, I've been working on this sermon for three weeks, and it still blows my mind that the God of the universe would do this. He entered his own creation. He made himself vulnerable, the king of the universe. He added human nature to himself, making him known as a man, Jesus, Jesus. The king of heaven takes on flesh so that he could walk among the same rebels who said he didn't need, they didn't need him. The ones who rejected his rightful authority, who would later spit on him and torture him and whip him and tear his beard out by their bare hands and kill him. John said it like this. He said, in the beginning was the word, talking about Jesus, and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that has been made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world, and it's skipping a little ways down, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's why the angel said one of his names would be Emmanuel, God with us. It was God's invasion. It was an invasion into our world. But it didn't stop right there. It was really an invasion into us, into your life, into my life, for all of us, all of us. In Missouri, some people say all y'all. That's all y'all. You get that? It's all y'all, and it's personal too, into me. The uniqueness of Christianity, one of the unique things about Christianity is, is we boast about a God of the universe who's on our side. He just doesn't say he's on our side. He physically demonstrates that by coming here and being with us. Who does that? Who does that? It's as if when your child messes up and maybe they color on the wall, my first inclination says, you need to clean that up. God says, I'm going to get down on my knees with you and clean up your mess with you. That's what he does. He comes into our mess, into our brokenness. It's personal. It's for you. He champions our case. He fights for us. He mediates for us. And the incarnation is what makes it all possible. The light of the world comes into our world, into my world, my world. Now, all religions possess kind of this idea of a vertical dimension, a deity that's way up there or out there, someone you can't touch or even know or understand. They all have that. Beyond reach and, and after and sought after but never touched or experienced. It's only in Christianity and in, through the current incarnation that the light invi- invades our darkness and moves with us. It's a horizontal dimension. He's here with us. Religion is man's means to God. It's a way of working. It's full of rules. 
that leaves us empty in the end because you can never follow all the rules completely right. And ultimately, the rules don't change your heart anyway. With Christianity, it's about a heart change. Get this. It's a heart change that makes us want to follow the rules. The rules are no longer a burden and a shackle that hold us down and limit us. The rules are something we feel free now to do. Because in a weird way, we were, before we were shackled and we didn't know it, we were shackled to our sin, and that drove every decision we made. It's as if we couldn't help ourselves. We're, we're born to do that. But when the Jesus comes in flesh, he comes and he takes that away, and he frees us to be fit to live in eternity with him. Instead of a God high up in the rafters, we have a God who literally comes into the slums with us. The best of all creation comes down into the worst of what we've done with his creation and turns that all around. Think about this. He's not too good to come alongside of us to free us from our sin and then to help us live for him. Only he can do that. Scripture puts it a couple ways. In 1 John, it says we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. Jesus does that for us. So many times when I think about my sin, I feel so unworthy and I think I can never come before God and I'm embarrassed. But we have an advocate who walks alongside us and pleads our case for us. And in 1 Timothy, it says there's one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity. And that is the man Christ Jesus. The man Christ Jesus. Only he could do it that way. And you know what's funny is everybody gets this concept. So many of our movies and stories and fables are full of this, aren't they? That there's someone who's unknown to us, but they're more powerful than us, and they can come into our world and save us. Even Doctor Who does this, right? He comes from nowhere to here to save us and show us how to live better and be better. When he came, he was on a mission. His invasion mission wasn't one to just come and observe and watch us. It wasn't just one to point the way, but he leads the way. It's totally different than the way that most of the world looks at it. The Apostle Paul says it to this, like this when he's writing to his young protege, Timothy. He says, the saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. It's why he came. He invaded the darkness with his light to show us the way. That's what it says. When he says that Emmanuel is with us, I want you to understand he's with us. Are you getting that today? I'm, I'm, I'm staying on this point a lot because it's so powerful. He's with us. I'm not worthy of that. You're not worthy of that. None of us are worthy of that. But he sees us as worthy because he loves us as his creation and he's with us. With us. You don't go anywhere that he has not been. He understands sorrows. Isaiah says he was despised and rejected a man of sorrows. Acquainted with the deepest grief, we turned our backs on him and he looked the other way. And looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. He knows what that's, that's like. The shortest verse in the entire Bible, John eleven thirty five, says Jesus wept. And if you know that story, his friend Lazarus had died. Jesus knew he was going to die. Jesus came to raise him from the dead, but his sisters who knew so much about him and his ministry didn't even get it. And even when he said, I am the resurrection and the life, they said, 
Oh, well, we know there's a resurrection later, but if you'd only been here, you could have healed him. He's like, they don't get it. They don't get it. And seeing their grief, he weeps because they didn't get it. And they were so misled and they were in pain. He's with us. He's with us at every stage of those things. He gets it. He understands us. When I think about it, good friend of mine, he uses this word a lot for things that are just silly. It's ridiculous grace. Ridiculous. It's ridiculous grace. How could God be like this? How could he lower himself to us? How could he put himself in our place? Why would he do it? It's grace. And only grace that puts him there in our place. And it's ridiculous. It just blows my mind. The ancient son of God who existed before the creation of the world, who created the world, who who through him all things were created, comes into this world and experiences pain at the hands of his creation. He was clothed in splendor and adored by angels. And then he was sitting at the very center in the throne of God. And now he enters his creation as a newborn. Think about this for a minute. The ancient of days was swaddled by a teenager. <laughs> it blows my mind. He, he dirties his diaper and then human hands clean him that is ridiculous but it's a god of grace he's fed and nourished and defended by his own creation while other faiths they fight for a god that's with unbridled strength and is is unable to be touched by human suffering or questions or pain our gods instead we celebrate one who's not afraid of being vulnerable one who's not afraid of humiliation and pain In fact, he chose to take those things on in our place so that he could raise us up to splendor. That's what he does. And that is ridiculous grace. We have all this because the light has invaded the darkness. God is with us, but he doesn't come to us just to stay with us. He then takes us and says, I want you to take this light this incredible story, this incredible grace, and I want you to tell the world about this. They need to know. And I've chosen to have you be the vehicle and the one to tell us. He's with us, and now he gives us a mission, and our mission is to take it to the world. This hope in a Messiah, this hope. It starts off in the Old Testament. This, this idea is not new. It starts off in the Old Testament. Isaiah, he said, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. Does that sound familiar? This was written 700 years before the birth of Christ, 900 years before today's present day, and we're still in need of that, aren't we, today? If I could have the worship team come up and join me up here. Matthew, quoting that Isaiah passage, said, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, because Jesus has been there now, And for those who lived in the land where death casts its shadow, a light has shined. I'm wondering, in your world, where is it that death has cast a shadow? Of course, all of us experience death, and we have death in the family. And there's times where maybe a a person is good with the Lord, and they're, they're older, and they've lived a great life. I know Jeremy, Pastor Jeremy, his grandfather passed away, and it was a celebration of a life well lived. But it's still sad. 
But this idea and this concept of death casting a shadow goes way beyond us shedding mortal body and going into eternity. It's more than that. Because death is everywhere. And the shadow of it is everywhere. And it's frightening and it's heinous. Going back to John 1.14, I want to read it one more time today in the message. It says, The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. It moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. We all have a neighborhood. Sometimes your neighborhood is literally your neighborhood. And you have a neighbor who needs this light. And you have the light. Some of you, the neighborhood is a family member, and you have the light. One of the people who goes to our church, he was just telling me before service about an experience where his boss's father is passing away. And he went and talked to the father. Now the father calls him. His father's 87 years old and doesn't know Christ. And, and Joey's been sharing faith with him. Isn't that cool how God does that? Isn't that amazing? Who, who would have thought that connection would be made? And that would be the person who ends up sharing Christ with this 87-year-old man who needs Jesus so desperately. But that's the case. That's the case. That's his neighborhood today. We all have that neighborhood. We all have the light of the world, and we're to take it to the light of the world. Before we symbolize that literally with some candles today, I want you to shut your eyes with me for a moment. I know that on December 20th, 2015, someone might be sitting in here today, and you might have come to church for a lot of reasons. Maybe someone asked you, and you're just trying to get them to quit asking. Maybe you came because it's Christmas, and that's what we do. Maybe you've been to a million churches. You've been to church a lot of times. And, but for some reason today, you've heard what we've said today. You've heard the messages in the songs we've sung. And you thought, you know what? It might be true. And it might be true that my life, as messed up as I've made it, might be a life that the Savior of the world came to save. And if you're saying that to yourself today, I want to echo and I want to say it's true. It's true. And all of this today might be for you. It might be a moment that God has orchestrated and ordained for you to say, yes, I'll surrender to him and I'll let him come back into the rightful place. I'll let this king of the universe who came as a baby, this light of the world, shine a light in my life. If you're willing to do that today, maybe for the first time or maybe to do that again, and if that's you today, I want to give you an opportunity. I just want you to raise your hand if that's you today. And what we'll do is we'll pray with you today. Anybody at all, just raise your hand. I'll pause for a minute as I kind of scan the crowd from right to left. All right, that's kind of exciting because that means that we in here, we have a job to do. Here's what I'd like you to do is, is if you would, if you would take out this candle and those of you who have kids, young kids, you know, just keep an eye on things because it is fire. But what I want to do is symbolize with us today. I'd like all of us to stand. And if you were going to help me today, I'd like you to come up here. I'm going to light my candle. 
And I hope it's been four people I've asked to help. If you would just come on up.